our sermon this morning is going to come from some variety of verses primarily found in the book of Luke. So if you turn to page 868, we'll look at a couple of passages in Luke 9 and then one in Luke 14. And then Exodus chapter 3, Genesis, Exodus. So at the very beginning of your Bible, page 46, if you're using the blue pew Bible. Luke 9, Exodus 3. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Read just a few verses here. Luke 9, 51. But when the days drew near for him, for Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And just looking back, Chapter 9, verse 23. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does, a man, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or his soul? Luke fourteen twenty seven and twenty eight. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, doesn't first down first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Exodus chapter 3, Moses' first encounter here with the Lord at the burning bush, Exodus 3, verse 3. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called out to Moses from the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. You may be seated and let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. You will need your handout available and um, we'll go over this in due time. On it is a prayer from John Wesley that I'm going to invite you to say with me at the end. If you want to join with me on that. And that will be the way we'll end the sermon. This is a little bit of a different sermon today, and I'm apologizing in advance if it feels a little bit more like a seminar. Um, And if you say, well, I really like sermons, not seminars, then you're in luck, because I have planned 35 sermons on the book of Luke. Uh, But this one is a preparation for us to go on what I'm calling a journey with Jesus. So we looked at the first half of Luke last year. And now we're looking at the second half, beginning with verse chapter 10. And we'll be there next week. But just to get a a sort of a running start into this journey, I thought it would be helpful to just take a look at a few things here. First of all, we see from Luke 9.51, we're at a turning point in the gospel. It's 
probably around year two of Jesus's three-year ministry, and he's set his face. He's mostly been in the northern area of Israel, around Capernaum, around the Sea of Galilee, his adult hometown, and he's making his way strategically towards Jerusalem. So he, he's made a commitment. The word set his face. He's, he sees something out ahead, and he's going in a definite direction. He's not just wandering around. He's going someplace. And although we're still a year away, we know that place is to the cross. So if this was a, a movie, the first couple of years, you have all these miracles and great things happening but, but if you got to this point sort of theatrically, Jesus would turn with his face looking towards Jerusalem and, and you'd hear a distant rumble. You might feel a little chill. You might feel a sense of darkness as he heads towards Jerusalem. Now, all along the journey, we've seen that Jesus has invited people to follow any, I mean, just anyone, anyone from any place. It really doesn't matter your ethnicity or your con- spiritual condition or uh, how you grew up. Just in, anyone can follow. But we've noticed that Jesus is requiring a commitment from the followers as well. They have to also be going in a definite place. And we read about that definite place in two places in Luke 9 and Luke 14. If anyone wants to follow after me, when we can't get any broader than that, then what does he or she must do? What's the answer? Take up their cross. See, see, Jesus has his face set towards Jerusalem, and wherever his face is set, if you're following him, then your face has to be set there too. So it's an invitation, but it's an invitation that has a bit of a, a, an asterisk or a, a warning. Stop and consider the costs. Don't just you know, raise your hand before you know what the real answer is. Are you ready to get on a journey with Jesus? And as we consider just getting on this journey for the next year, in starting next week in Luke 10, I want us to try to think about two, the answers to two questions. Where are you, and is it time? Where are you, and is it time? First question, where are you? I asked this same question a year ago when I talked about Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3. Remember this passage where Adam and Eve have fallen? They've decided to listen to another voice. And when they did, they tried to hide from God, sort of this foolish thing. And in, in after the fall, God comes walking in the garden to find Adam and Eve. You remember what's the very first thing he says? Adam, where are you? I mean, you're great at hide and seek. I just cannot find you in this garden anywhere. No, he knows where Adam and Eve are. Adam and Eve don't know where they are. And in order for them to have any hope of looking for rescue, they need to know they need 
rescue. And so Jesus, God knows where they are, but he needs to help them understand and every human from that point to today to ask the question and try to answer the question, where are you? I mean, before you know how to get somewhere, you got to know where you are. And so he's trying to ask this question, where are you? And he wants to know where they think they are in terms of the condition of their soul. Not physically. Well, where are you? I'm, I'm over here in this bush. Don't you see me? No, that's not what he's asking. He's not asking where you are physically. He's asking where you are in your spirit, in your soul. Adam doesn't want to answer that question. So what does he do? Well, let's shift over here to Eve. And that might be your temptation today as we try to analyze or assess where you are. You might be sitting next to somebody and say, that's a great question for them. I would just want you to resist that temptation. Imagine God spending some time with you this morning, just 30 minutes. Insert your name, Paul. Where are you? This morning, as we try to have a brief assessment of our soul, which is hard to do, I've heard it said somewhere that when you're trying to answer this question, you need to imagine a bird watcher. Now, if you're a bird watcher, you go sit in the woods, and you have to be very quiet and still, and the birds appear. They come out. You can't barge through the woods. Because if you barge through the woods, all the birds scatter. You never see them. You've got to sit quietly, and it takes some time. This is why I'm not a great bird watcher. And just sit and watch them come out. Watch them appear. They, they might, you might even be right. They might be right before you, but, but you have to take a moment to sit and say, okay, I see, I see you now. So when we're trying to answer this question of our soul, we're probably not going to be able to do it inside of the next 20 minutes. You're going to need some time to sit down and let the real, the real Paul Phillips come out. Not the one that you want to come out, just the real one come out. And that's going to take a moment. It's going to take some time. The other thing about trying to answer this question is quite often we have uh, false self-sightings. We think we know where we are, but really we don't. And we'll see this in Luke chapter 10. And we'll see it throughout Luke. Jesus encounters these people. They don't know where they are. They think they know where they are, but they don't know. And in Luke 10, you have one story after another. You have a man who's a ruler, who's a lawyer, and he thinks he's okay. Remember this? I've got it all down, Jesus, and what I need is your affirmation. I know exactly where I am. I just need you to identify, Paul, you're, you're right. You know where you are. You're in a good place. And Jesus kindly says, you don't know where you are. The place you think you are, it's a false self-sighting. Then remember Martha, Mary Martha? I'm busy. Jesus, affirm my busyness and get my lazy sister to come help me. Remember this story? See, it's a false self-sighting. What, what, my busyness is what's the most important thing. And Jesus kindly says, oh, honey, that's not the most important thing. 
you don't, you don't actually know where you are. So it happens all the time. It happens to us. Think about if you were lost in a forest or maybe lost in a big city like New York City. You sort of just got plopped down in the forest or plopped down in the city. And right before you was this beautiful detailed map of the city or the forest. You'd be like, oh, good, I've got a map. What would be the very first thing you'd do with this map? Where am I? Okay, this is great. But if I can't identify where I am, I don't have any idea how to get out of the forest or get out of the city. So Jesus has given us a beautiful map. But the first thing you have to correctly identify is where are you? Where are you? So now we're looking at our sheet here. And I'm going to ask one preliminary question, which is at the top. And then a series of these nine questions. So let me just ask this first question. And you don't have to write anything down or maybe a phrase or a word would come to mind. And let me get all the way through what I want to say here and then you maybe jot something down. Let me also make this challenge to talk to somebody about this after this. So husbands, ask your wife about this when you get home. Don't, don't make them do it. You do it. If you have a friend, say, hey, look, can we just, I'd like to discuss where I am. I'd be willing to hear where you are. First question, how is your soul? Do you even know how to answer that question? Would you answer by telling me about external circumstances? Well, school's starting tomorrow, and I'm kind of nervous about that. I mean, how would, how would you just begin to answer the question? Would you start answering it by saying, let me tell you about external circumstances when it's really asking an internal question? When Jesus comes and says, come to me, and you will find rest for your souls... Do you know how to give rest to your soul? Is it Netflix? What, what, what gives rest to your soul? So question, how is your soul? What's the condition of your soul? Now trying to come at that with these several different questions. And the idea here is, first of all, no one gets a grade, all right? It's not a grade. No trophies are handed out at the door today for your answers. And, and it could just be one of these sort of resonates with you. It's not a thing that all of them would resonate, but one of these things could be the thing that the Lord really wants you to hear about today. He's trying to help you. And you're going to answer these questions with the phrases up there. Always, often, sometimes, rarely, never. You see that? So as I ask the question, you're going to write one of those words down underneath the question. Now, this is how I want you to do it. I want you to, I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to talk about the question. Then I'm going to ask the question again. 
then you're going to write your response. Because it might be a little bit different after I talk about it, all right? Thank you for nodding your head. So you're, some people are paying attention. That's good. All right, ready? Sorry, this is the seminar part, not the sermon part. Question. Trying to try, we're trying to assess the question before we get on a journey with Jesus. We're trying to answer the question for you, not your friend. Where are you? More and more I notice I'm going through the motions of life. I teach or lead others in ways I'm not personally experiencing. I usually have to manufacture my emotions. I connect with people, but I don't have compassion for people. My heart's no longer in it. I have to rally myself. I sort of feel numb to life. More and more, I notice I'm going through the motions. How would you answer that? Always, often, sometimes, rarely, never. Second, I'm aware of a nagging sense of something's not quite right. It just circles around. I can't ever sort of seem to get away from it. Something's not quite right, but I either don't take the time or I don't make the effort to try to figure it out. It circles around, and I kind of think about it for five minutes, but then I get busy, and I just never really take the time or the effort to look into it. I, I know it's there. Something within me maybe feels closed down. And in the past, I could kind of push myself back to life, but I'm finding myself, I I just can't do that now. Something's changed. So how would you answer? I'm aware of a nagging sense of something's not quite right. These are soul identifying. This is sitting in the woods, trying to allow the bird to come out. Number three, I find myself rushing from one thing to the next without time to pay attention to what's going on around me or in me? This is the, the Martha question. Oh, I'm always busy. My life is just so full and so chaotic. I just don't really have time to pay attention to things that are going on really around me or even in me. Christian Thomas Merton says this, listen. There is a pervasive form of contemporary violence which many of us succumb to. It's called activism and overwork. See, he calls that violence. It's violence to the soul. It's the rush and pressure of modern life, conflicting concerns, unable to surrender to all the demands, committing myself to too many projects, wanting to help everyone is succumbing to violence, and it destroys your capacity for peace. Another way to think about this is I just don't have time or take time to turn aside. I love this passage from Exodus 3. Moses saw the burning bush, and when did he encounter God Almighty? When did he get on holy ground? Do you remember? After he turned aside. It says, when God saw Moses turn aside, then God said, and God may be waiting for you to just turn aside. Just to say, I got to get out of this 
ongoing stream and turn aside and then I'll be on holy ground and I'll get some new instructions about how my life should be operated. But, but have you taken the time to, to turn aside? Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years before he turned aside. I wonder how many burning bushes he walked by. God was just waiting for him to turn aside. But I'm too busy. I'm rushing from one thing to the next without time to pay attention. How would you answer that? Number four, I'm keeping up with what, and you need to fill in the blank here, society, my job, school, my boss, Instagram, my friends, my parents, my desires. I'm keeping up with what they require, but I've lost touch with who I am, with God. I mean, I know what my wife wants. I know what the church wants. I know what my boss wants. I know what the culture wants. I know what my friend wants. uh, And I'm just keeping up with all that. But in the process of doing that, I've lost myself. This is a big one. This is how you lose your identity. I'm at the mercy of other people's expectations. And I was at a, a soul care retreat. And the person speaking said, think about a priest who's got a white collar. You've seen these, right? Think of the white collar as a screen in which people project things onto you. And you have to live up to those expectations. You're a ministry leader because that's what we all are in this room. And people come to you and they project onto your empty screen all the hopes they have, all the pains they have, all the desires they have, all the expectations they have. And then you feel obligated to live up to all that. that. It's not on your screen, but they projected it on you. Now, anyone can feel this way, but I bet moms feel this way all the time. I'm just a screen, and my kids are projecting on, and the culture's projecting on how I'm supposed to be a a mom, and my husband's projecting on, and I've lost myself. I mean well, but I, I don't know who I am anymore. I'm not like an individual with God. I'm just a projection in some way of everybody else's needs or desires. I'm at the mercy of other people's expectations. I'm at the mercy of my own inner compulsions. I'm keeping up with everybody else, but I've lost myself. How would you answer question four? Question five, I'm tired. Not really physically but my soul is tired, and I actually don't know how to get rest. I used this illustration last week. My mother was tired, and I said, why don't you just go to bed early? Remember what she said? I'm the kind of tired, no rest, no amount of sleep can fix. Mm. Some people are like that in this room. I can get any amount of sleep, but when I wake up, I'm the same kind of tired. The Jewish Sabbath begins at night. You know, this begins Saturday night. And then you live the Sabbath the next day. It's a way of saying, I live from rest. So many of us live from exhaustion. Adam's first day after he and Eve were created, what was his first whole day about? 
worship. Day seven. And from worship, I live into my life. Do you live from worship or do you live from exhaustion? Two vacations. I gave this guy a challenge just last month who's pretty busy. And I think his identity sometimes is wrapped up in what other people think. So I said, why don't you just take a six-hour Sabbath? Now, for some of you, are like, this would be the best gift ever. But six hours, think about this, six hours, no technology. Hmm. Can't have your phone, no Netflix, no television, no computer screen, no work. But you can take a nap, you can read, go for a walk, go to the beach. Any, anything that feels restorative to your soul. But nothing in the sort of the everyday kind of habits. And he was like, ah, oh, no problem. Well, guess what? We're about six weeks in. He hadn't been able to get one six hours in yet. What did you do last time? Well, I mean, I knew I wasn't supposed to, but I mowed my lawn and cut my hedge. I'm like, no. That's, was that restorative? Well, see, for him, what was restorative about this, and some of you will appreciate it, it felt like I was getting something done. You know that? You feel that? I've got a list, and what makes me feel good is when the list gets smaller. But you, you know the list never goes down to zero, right? That's the problem. And I was saying, can you just totally get out, even if it's just for six hours? And the answer for him is, I want to, but no, I cannot. I can't. Josh Garrels, I think is how you say his last name, sings a song called Resi Resistance. It's really a great song. And here he's wondering why the Christian culture has been sucked up into the world. And his answer is there's no resistance. That's why he gets the title of the song. Here's the, my favorite line in, in the song. My rest is a weapon against the oppression. So he's giving you what he thinks his answer is against the world's oppression is rest. My rest is a weapon against the oppression of man's obsession to control things. See, when I rest, I'm resisting the oppressive nature that I've got to be in control. Because for six hours, I've decided I don't have to be the king of the universe. And it begins to tell your soul something. You know what? You never really were in control. You can allow God to be in control there's a lot of ways rest can be a weapon it can be a weapon against always needing to be connected i wonder how many people under 35 30 could be disconnected from technology for six hours that's another point i'm tired i don't know how to get rested how would you answer that question Number six, I'm aware of an underlying irritability, anger, disappointment, or restlessness just beneath the surface of my life. This is pretty objective. You come home, you kick the dog. You come home, you yell at your spouse. One little thing goes on, uh, you're wrong, you're a volcano. If you don't know it, ask the person that, you know, that knows you best. They'll tell you. Always, sometimes, 
How would you an answer that question? Number seven, I've become addicted to technology. My phone is the last thing I look at before I go to bed. It's the first thing I look at, and I look at it before I get out of bed every day. Don't raise your hand, but how many sleep with their phone now? It's not as strange as you might think. Remember, some of you will not remember this, but there was usually just one phone in the house. You remember this? And it had a long cord on it. You tried to get like in a closet to talk to somebody, you know. But you never thought about, I'm going to take this and sleep with it. It was in the kitchen, right? I mean, you'd be like, you're sleeping on the phone? I mean, that's weird. But do you see, you see what's happened? I just want you to feel it. Just We're just moving along. This technology is moving closer and closer to the center. I don't have healthy boundaries. See, if you can't learn to live without technology, then you haven't learned how to live with it. In, in a business deal, especially if you're like buying a house or buying a car, you're getting advice that what does this person tell you? You need to have walk-away power, right? Once you fall in love with a house or a car, guess what you're going to do? Or a dress. I mean, you choose. Once I love it, what's going to happen? I'm going to own it, even if I have to finance it. And it's stupid. I'm going to own it because I love it. So you have, to have, you have to maintain what's called walk-away power. And I wonder from your technology, do you have walk-away power? If you don't, it has a power over you. How would you answer, I've become addicted to technology? I don't have regular spiritual practices or healthy daily routines. In other words, it seems like a long time I've had a real connection with God. Maybe this is a way to come at it. I get more animated, excited, or worked up by messages from CNN or Fox than words from Jesus. I mean, if we have a spiritual conversation, it's going well, blah, blah, blah. Did you read about what, what was on CNN or Fox? Oh, my gosh! I mean, just, where are you? Is most of your discipleship cable news discipleship? How would you say that? Always, sometimes. Finally, there, there can be more questions, but you don't want any more, do you? just been painful enough you're like please get back to the sermons no more of this i embrace escapist behaviors tiktok eating binging porn shopping drinking dreaming about a different life i i just want to avoid what's going on inside me or around me so i just escape into some way a novel whatever and I make excuses, hey, it's okay, because I'm tired or I'm wounded. So we're first trying to answer. We're going to go on a journey with Jesus. Luke chapter 10, it starts next week. But before we get on the journey, we need to ask ourselves and try to sit long enough for our real souls to come out and answer the question, where are you? Where are you? Second, and a much shorter and no test here this time, the second question, is it time? 
you may know that in the Greek language, there's two different words for time. There's chronos and kairos. Chronos, kairos. Chronos is like chronology. Well, what time is it? Well, right now it's 10 o'clock. And it's time for me to wrap this up in about five minutes. That's what time it is on the timeline. That's chronos. Kairos is a moment when the time is right, when a season has happened. It's a chronos moment. Conditions are right. It's an opportune moment. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, Why do you not know how to interpret the present chronos? You see me, but you, you don't understand the time. He's not saying, what time is it right on that day? But you just didn't understand the moment of my being here. And then in Luke 19, he comes into Jerusalem and he says this, if you'd only known on this day what would bring you peace, but you didn't recognize the chronos. You didn't recognize the moment. Jesus was here. He could bring your soul peace. And you missed the time. Not on your watch. You missed the moment. Every year in August, I spend away, a week away from the office working on all the content I'm going to deliver for the year. And my prayer during that whole time is that this year, for me, for you, would be a Kronos moment. That you would hear the Lord Jesus Christ speak into your soul and say, Hey, it's time. No, it's, it's not August the 28th at 10 o'clock time. It's time. It's time for something to happen. It's time for you to really turn aside and have an encounter with me that might completely change your not life. It, it's time to get on this journey with Jesus. Don't make excuses. Don't miss it. And in this little diagram that I'm not going to spend too much time going over, the learning circle it's called, I just want you to see there's two parts of a chronos moment. There's repent and believe. Something happens along. They're trying to say there's a timeline. We're walking along, and today it's August the 28th, 2022. And you just walked into Christ Community Church, and you're at a chronos moment. You've heard these questions and you realize your soul is in trouble. You've identified, I'm, in a, I'm not in a good spot. And God is trying to get your attention and say, it's time. It's time right now in this moment. And it's time. It's a decisive moment to change. And you may say, I see it and I repent. I don't want to be that way. I want to turn around. I want to go in a different direction. And that's the very first step you've got to take. But for it to be a discipleship moment, for your trajectory to move in a different direction, you can't just repent. You have to believe. You have to do something. You have to take action. That's why I'm asking you to talk to somebody about this. That's part of a, an action-oriented thing. Have you ever been on the, the moving walkways at an airport? And it kind of makes you feel cool, doesn't it? Like, I walked so fast. Then you fall off when you get to the end of things. But you're walking along. And what if you were walking along this and you say, I'm going in the wrong direction, and you turn around? Well, at least 
that's a good start, right? I'm going in the wrong direction, but what's still happening? You're still going in the wrong direction, right? You're still moving this way. And what do you have to do? You have to turn aside. You have to get off that conveyor belt of your life and say, I'm going to now step out of that and move in a different direction. For somebody here, for all of us this year, I want you to know Jesus is looking at you and saying, hey, it's time. I don't know what it is, but I bet you know what it is. It's going to take some courage going to take some effort you're going to get off of something and get on to something else but it'll be life-giving so i'm going to invite you just to pray with me you can take this sheet <coughs> it's a prayer from john wesley we'll end our time here in this prayer together feel no obligation but if you want to read along with me and pray like we sort of do with a confession. I invite you to do so. Let's pray. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I am freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it, it's time. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. It's time. Let's stand and sing our closing song together.